membership board. I appreciate it. Um, as he said, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Jarrett, uh, and I help lead City Light U North Lincoln title clearly very much in the air as to what I'm actually called. Uh, but yeah, that's great. Um, but tonight we're entering into week two of our sermon series on what does the Bible say about. If you missed week one of the series, you can find it on our Spotify because we're pretty fancy now. We have a Spotify. Um, I know. My mom was really happy. Um, <laughs> she was. But last week, uh, we looked at what the Bible said about God. Um, first, how it is his eternal nature that gives life meaning and that he is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. He is everywhere. And then we looked um, at three characteristics about God. That God is holy, that God is just, and that God is love. Uh, but as we talked about last week, the concept of a just God can be difficult when we see so much brokenness in the world. And so tonight, we're going to dive deeper into the question of what does the Bible say about what is wrong with the world? And this is a really big topic, um, and there's no way we're going to be able to cover it all tonight. And so my hope is that we'll at least make a little headway, a little progress into that question, and encourage you guys to kind of have that as a springboard um, to do that in your own and figure that out more for yourselves. Um, but it shouldn't take much searching to convince us that something um, is wrong with the world, that the world is deeply broken. Just about everywhere we look, we can see that things are not the way that they should be. Whether it be the way things are in Afghanistan or countless other situations, um, there's just tons of brokenness in our world. But why? Why is the world so broken? Um, My hope tonight is that we will be able to leave with a better understanding of the Bible's answer as to why the world is so broken. And just as with every other week of this series, um, I want to say right away that it is totally okay if you do not agree with what the Bible says. You are still more than welcome here. We want you to be here. Um, But what I love is that the Bible does not shy away from this question. It does not pretend that everything is good or even as it should be. Um, Instead, it acknowledges the reality of the world, but also provides a depth of reasoning as to why. And so my hope for us tonight is that in growing an understanding of what the Bible says, we would be better equipped to face the realities of this world. That we would be saddened by the broken state of the world, but not be overwhelmingly disheartened by it. That we would know why the world is broken, but at the same time know that that's not the end of the story. So I'll pray, and then we'll get into our text. Lord, yeah, thank you uh, for your word, uh, for the Bible, that you have not just left us on our own to figure things out for ourselves, but instead have left us with your word, um, a chance for us to to hear from you, to know more uh, about your heart, to know more about who you are, um, and also, yeah, to know more about the world. Um, I thank you, yeah, that the word has truth, that we can go to it and learn and know um, the ways in which, why why the world is the way it is today, the ways in which you are working. Um, But yeah, pray that as we go tonight, that as, as we spend time in the word, as we dig deeper, that we would gain a, a more full picture of who you are as a result. Uh, that we come to know you more fully, come to a better understanding of how we find ourselves in the situations we, we do right now, why the world is the way it is, how we play into that, um, and how you're at work in the midst of it, Lord. So yeah, pray that you'd be working tonight. Pray that the words would not be my own, um, but that you'd be speaking tonight, and that we'd get to know you more fully and love you more as a result. In your name, amen. All right, so a lot of what we're going to talk about tonight is probably pretty familiar to a lot of you. Many of you likely grew up hearing these things or at least aware of them. But I think it's important for us to walk through this tonight because often we know these things in our head, but then we end up misattributing the cause of why things go wrong when they do. I mean, if we're going to reach an understanding of why the world is the way that it is today, I think it makes sense for us to go back to the beginning of the Bible where everything all all began. And so the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, present us with such a beginning. And regardless of how you interpret these chapters, in terms of how long ago it was that these things happened, or how long it took for the events to happen themselves. What we do know is that the Bible says God created the world and that he made humans. And not only did he make humans, but Genesis 127 says, 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so at this point of time in the world, things were good. And we know that they were good because God said himself that they were good. A couple of verses later in Genesis 1.31, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And based off what we saw about God last week as we went through what the Bible says about him um, and his nature and characteristics, we can feel confident that if he said the world was good, then it actually was. Um, and that it was in a much different state than the way that we find it now. This world that God said was good would not have been a place of injustice, of disease, of death, or any of the negative things that we see constantly around us today. Instead, the good that we see here would have been the result of a perfect relationship with God. Nothing in this world went wrong. There was no pain. There was only immense peace and joy. So this should be a sign to us that something has happened here. This world that God designed and brought to fruition, this world he looked at and said was good, is not what we commonly experience today. That's not the world we see around us. I wouldn't describe our world as being peaceful and joyful and, no, and free of pain. So what did happen? How did the world become the place that it is today? As I said, the Bible does not shy away from these questions. It does not present us with a fairy tale world, but instead recognizes and expects brokenness to be all around us. And we see this play out as early as the third chapter of the Bible. In Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve eat from the one tree that God told them not to, because the serpent, who in the story is Satan in disguise, tricks them into doing so by telling them that if they did it, they would become like God. And as a result of this, Adam and Eve are banished from the garden where they had been with God and where things were good, like he said. And the trick that we see the serpent play here is that they did not need to eat from the tree to become like God. They already were like him. Um, while they weren't God themselves, they had been created in God's image, like we saw in Genesis 1, and they were in perfect relationship with him already. And now we see this promise that God gives to the serpent in verse 15, that he will put enmity, which is just a fancy word for hostility, um, between the serpent and the woman, and between the serpent's offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And what we're left seeing is that the reason why things have changed, the reason why things are no longer good like God proclaimed them to be when he created the world and humanity, is because sin has entered the world. In Romans 5.12, we see the Bible identify sin as the cause, as it says, Therefore... Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And similarly, we see in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what we see is that death has come through sin, and everyone is guilty of sin. And what I'm not going to do tonight is simply just stand up here and tell you guys to sin less, because if we don't have a good understanding of what sin is, how would we even begin to do that? Um, and if our motivation to sin less is just because we feel like we should because we, yeah, we just think it's the right thing to do, it's probably not going to be very effective. So instead, I want us to take considerable time tonight to talk about what sin is, because it's a word that gets thrown around a lot, I think without a complete understanding of what it truly means. We've all heard the word sin. We all know how it's often used, um, usually very judgmentally too. Um, but do we really know what it means? So my hope tonight is that we'll have a better picture of that. So sin was also used as an old Greek archery term, which means to miss the mark. And what we see with this is that sin means that we aren't quite where we should be. We miss it. As Romans 3 said, sin means that we are falling short. I heard it described this way when I was in college, which I really like. It said, The Bible's concept of sin is not that at every point we are as bad as we could be, but it is that at no point are we as good as we should be. We fall short and we miss the bullseye, even if we are not the absolute worst shot. And this applies to everybody. I'll read that again. The Bible's concept of sin is not that at every point we are as bad as we could be, 
but it is that at no point are we as good as we should be. We fall short and we miss the bullseye, even if we are not the absolute worst shot. And this applies to everybody. And this concept is not foreign to our world as a whole either, with phrases like, nobody's perfect, or I'm only human. And I feel this often myself. Uh, With the way that my family was growing up, there was always a striving to try to be as perfect as possible, to try to be the best at everything and to accomplish everything that I put my mind to. Um, To always just be the best. Uh, But the reality is that that's just not feasible. As humans, no matter how hard we try, we are always going to fall short in some way. We might be able to balance everything close to perfectly for a while, but it's not sustainable. Eventually, we're going to miss the mark. And so this begins to form our understanding of what sin is, but what does Scripture have to say about sin? And where I want us to look in Scripture tonight to form that understanding is John chapter 8, verse 34. And this verse says, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And this is worth unpacking because I don't know about you guys, but when I hear the word slave, it catches my attention. Um, And the usage here is much different than the chattel slavery that occurred in the history of our nation. But what we know to be true about slavery is that it puts people in a position where they're unable to escape. They can't get out of it. And so what we're left seeing in our relationship with sin is that we're stuck. We can't escape from it. And if I had to pick one way in which we see the biggest tangible day-to-day difference between what the Bible says and how our world operates today... It is in how much weight is given towards sin and even how it is labeled. In our world and our country today, the idea of sin is either minimized or completely ignored altogether. We often hear from others or even say ourselves that something is really not that bad or even not bad at all. And we end up justifying both to ourselves and others the actions we take when we fall short. But the Bible presents sin in a much different way and says that we are easily entangled by it. But why does this matter? Why does it matter that we sin and fall short? Is it really that big of a deal? Like, or is this something that just like happens and it's fine? Um, and I would say that it is a big deal um, for a couple of reasons. And the first reason that I want to present tonight as to why it matters um, is that our, in our sin, we are trying to be equal to or above God, which is something that we'll just never be able to live up to. Um, we see countless times this happened throughout the Bible, whether it be in the garden with Adam and Eve when they tried to be like God, um, or the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, or countless other stories that we could spend all night talking about. Um, But it's just not sustainable. Humans weren't meant to be God, um, and so to try to be so um, is just just not a smart idea. Um, And the second reason why sin matters is because a holy and perfect God cannot be around sinful people. As we talked about last week, God's holiness is what makes him set apart. He cannot be around sin because he is perfect And so to be in the presence of sin would be to corrupt that. He wouldn't be perfect anymore. So when we sin, when we fall short, when we miss the mark, there remains a distance between us and God because we cannot overcome sin on our own and it leaves us apart from God. Um, And the perfect relationship with God is what we see in the garden. That's what makes things good. And so the Bible says that we are stuck in our sin and unable to free ourselves from its grip upon us. The condition of sin that is prevalent cannot be overcome. We can't go our whole lives without doing anything wrong. Our human nature on this earth will always involve some level of falling short of all that we should be, given that we've been created in God's image, as the Bible has told us back in the beginning, in the first chapter. And if this were the end, we would receive the wages of sin, what we have coming for us, um, which Romans 6 through 23 says is death. Um, Yeah, this is the end of the story, we'd get death, and that would be it. But this is not the end of the story of the Bible. The Bible does not present us with the problem of sin, reveal to us that we'll never be able to overcome it, and then just kind of wish us luck and just send us out. Um, Be like, try your best. 
Um, Instead, the Bible presents us with a problem of sin, reveals to us that we'll never be able to overcome it ourselves, and then provides us with a way for it to be overcome, just not by ourselves. As again, the Bible does not present us with a problem of sin, reveal to us that we'll never be able to overcome it ourselves, and then simply just wish us luck. But instead, it presents us with a problem of sin, reveals to us that we'll never be able to overcome it ourselves, and then provides us with a way for it to be overcome, just not by ourselves, not in our own strength. And so the reason why we meet, the reason why I stand up here and talk, um, the reason why we talk in discussion groups and sing songs, the reasons for Bible studies and huddles, is because of the truth that it was sin that has caused the world to be the way that it is now, and that there is nothing that we could do or can do to change that ourselves. But instead, we recognize that God, who even though he was not responsible for sin entering into the world, provides a way for us to be made right with him. And we see this expressed in Romans 5, 6 through 11. And Paul, who's speaking, says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Much more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I'll read that again. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And I don't want us to lose sight of why we gather. We gather because of the overwhelming love of God towards humanity, even though we do still sin. There is no expectation that we would ever be able to clean ourselves up. There is no expectation that we would ever be able to stop falling short ourselves before we could gather before God. Instead, the expectation is that we would simply be authentic and real about how we do fall short, but recognize that we never need to make it all the way and hit the mark ourselves. So what is our hope now? Um, If we're here, what is our hope? If we believe in Christ and his work on the cross to make right what is wrong, we have been saved from sin. You know that the Bible tells us that. But what are we saved for? Like, what is the point? Um, And while this is what we're really going to get into in the next two weeks of this series, uh, what I briefly want to say tonight is that we are saved for a fullness that does not fall short or miss the mark like sin does. Because recognizing the detrimental effects of sin on our lives and striving to grow in Christ-likeness while at the same time realizing that our human condition will still lead us to sin should not turn us into lifeless robots. This reality that we see on our lives should not turn us into that. In fact, it should do quite the opposite. In recognition of the reality that the Bible is presenting us, the call is to joyfully gather before God who has made up for every way that we would ever fall short, every way we ever have, every way we ever do, and every way that we ever will fall short. So would our gathering not be mundane? Because I get that sometimes coming here, it can feel like just another task. Coming here, talking in groups, singing some songs, even reading the Bible on your own time and spending time with God, or at least trying to. It can feel mundane, And just another thing to check off the list, 
So you feel like you're doing a good job and doing the right things. It can often feel that way to me. It often feels mundane when I do those things. And I think this happens because we forget just how radical it is that we find ourselves where we are now. In light of what we've seen in the Bible about the realities of sin and its impact on the world, the reality of our human condition, that we are prone to always fall short in some ways, it should be joyful coming before the Lord in all circumstances, knowing the price that he's paid for us when we did not deserve it. And like I said, I don't always do this well myself. Sometimes I rarely do this well myself. But will we strive more and more to be people who rejoice greatly in the Lord at all times because of what he's done? Because what we're left seeing is a complete reversal in our lives. Whereas Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the next verse says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so the whole thing says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. And there are plenty of other places in scripture where we see this reversal through the work of Jesus that we'll get more into next week. So we're going to break up into groups now to discuss what we talked about tonight, and then we'll sing afterwards. If you believe in Jesus, if you've made him Lord of your life and consider him worth falling above everything else because of what he's done for you on the cross, my encouragement to you is to consider the problem of sin. No one's going to have to share their deepest, darkest secrets with anyone tonight unless you really want to, Um, but I encourage you to consider sin. Because everything in the world around us tells us that sin is not really that big of a deal. That it doesn't really hurt anyone else a lot of the time. But the Bible tells us that the entrance of sin into the world is why there is so much wrong with the world. Sin is why the world is so deeply broken, not any of the other things that we often attribute wrongs to. And so I ask that you consider sin, not so that you'd be condemned by its presence in your life and feel shame, but instead to recognize its potential for destruction and as a result cling to Jesus all the more for the freedom that he provides. And if you're in this room and you haven't accepted Jesus, if you don't believe in him or are still figuring things out, first I want to say I'm super glad that you're here, Um, but also I'd encourage you just to consider the state of the world and the potential root causes behind that. Because I would say it's pretty clear that something in our world is wrong and then there has to be a reason why. And you're not going to be forced to believe that the reason why the world is so broken is because of sin here, We're not going to make you believe anything. But the Bible presents what is, in my opinion, a pretty compelling case. And it makes just as compelling of a case for Jesus being the answer to what is wrong. So my hope is that you would think about it, discuss it in your groups, and I'm always more than happy to talk about that in greater depth. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll break up into our groups. Lord, yeah, I just thank you. I thank you for your word, um, for the truth that it reveals to us. um, Yeah, that we see the state of the world um, as a result of sin. um, That we know that... That it was not the way that you intended it to be. It's not the way that you made it. Um, and that, yeah, yeah, you ultimately were not responsible uh, for the sin entering into the world. It was not your doing. Um, but yeah, thank you that you did not leave us in this state. That you did not simply, yeah, just reveal this to us, show us that there's no way we can overcome it ourselves and then leave us in that. But instead, you provided a way for us um, to, to be made right with you again, to be in perfect relationship with you, like we saw in the garden when you created the world, Lord. So yeah, I pray that as we break up into our discussion groups tonight, that you'd be present, um, that we, yeah, we would come to a more fuller picture, knowing that there's so much depth that, that we couldn't touch on tonight, um, but that is present about who you are and the ways in which, yeah, you just desire a relationship with us, desire to be with us even when we don't deserve it, and to make a way for us to be with you again. Um, yeah, that you desire to be with us and for us to be in your presence um, and drawing closer to you. So pray that tonight that would happen, that we would... Just learn more about you, desire you more fully as a result. Uh, so yeah, I pray that you bless this time, conversation, and our songs as we end. In your name, amen. All right, so we're going to break up into four groups.